Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good evening and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. You're with Talk on TV, on radio, online and of course on your smart speaker. Coming up, Rishi's emergency Rwanda plan backlash. The Home Secretary is forced to defend the move to revive plans to deport asylum seekers to East Africa as one former Supreme Court justice says the measures would be extraordinary. Meanwhile, there's more strife for Sir Keir Starmer. The Labour leader sees the biggest rebellion of his leadership after 10 of his front benches were among 56 Labour MPs voting for an immediate ceasefire in Gaza. Uh, it still hasn't happened, by the way. And find out why the first four episodes of the final series of The Crown have split the critics. Good evening and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Right here on Talk TV, it is your home of common sense. And as we hurtle towards another big weekend coming up, it doesn't look as if there's much evidence of it uh, going on. The government are still at sixes and sevens, trying to work out who to appeal to. David Cameron has hot-footed it out to Ukraine for the obligatory photo shoot with Volodymyr Zelensky. George Osborne says that now Dave is in the cabinet, there will be no more talk of leaving the European Convention on Human Rights. Absolutely not. And Chancellor Jeremy Hunt, in an effort to win back some voters any voters, frankly, is promising a cutback on benefit fraud. He's threatening to take away dental care, which most people don't have anyway, and free prescriptions from jobless people who refuse to work. And he's going to employ a load more therapists at the Department for Work and Pensions to help make the scheme work. Sounds like a lose-lose situation. Meanwhile, over in Starmerland, the peasants are still revolting and he's still reeling from losing so many members of his shadow cabinet and a third of Labour MPs in that vote for a ceasefire the other night, just when he should be celebrating the demise of the Tories, he's managed to score a massive own goal. And now it looks like he'll have to forgive them all if he wins the next election anyway. As if all that uncertainty isn't enough to cheese you off, there's more marches being organised for this weekend in London. More pro-Palestine supporters sticking two fingers up to the police and the Jewish community and closing off huge swathes of London to traffic. But that's not all. Now there's going to be a children's strike for Palestine too. Makes sense, I suppose, since most of the teachers are out on the hate march already. So don't be surprised if you see a load of kids parading around in Bristol, in Redbridge, in Glasgow, in Manchester, and all points north, south, east and west. I honestly think there's no point educating these muppets anymore. Half of them have been reading a letter to America this week from Osama bin Laden. Yes, that one. He wrote it in 2002 after 9-11 as a justification for the attack and it's full of anti-Semitic lies, anti-US propaganda and vile views on homosexuality. Guess what, though? The kids are all buying it, second time around. It's unbelievable. We'll be traversing all these subjects and a whole lot more tonight with a brilliant array of guests and, of course, with the help of your calls as well. And I've got a little surprise for you. You know I'm no fan of the BBC, but tonight I'm going to be sticking up for the new presenter of Women's Hour, Emma Barnett, who's been subjected to some horrible abuse because of her common-sense approach to trans madness. Check it out. Oh, and Snoop Dogg says he's given up smoke. Miracles do happen. This is the Independent Republican Mike Graham. Let us get it on.
And don't forget, you can get in touch with the show on all the socials at Talk TV. And if you want to get in touch on the phones, it's 0344 499 1000. Costs, uh, calls cost just the national rate. Now, joining me in the studio to get stuck into some of these stories and some of these subjects, historian and broadcaster Rafe Adel Mancou. Rafe, very good to see you again. Becoming a bit of a regular on this show, which I'm very pleased about. Um, the world has indeed gone mad again this week, hasn't it? We've had from Monday um, to now an incredible series of stories which in any normal sort of news cycle would only happen about once every three or four weeks, but they're happening once every three or four hours now, aren't they? I know, it's, it's quite crazy. I mean, I don't, you don't know where to start with. No. Pick, pick a topic. Well, I mean, for, for me, one of the most insane statements was hearing that um, nonsensical Labour MP Naz Shah said... Um, if they had called for a ceasefire yesterday, 144 children would be alive today. As if Hamas and Israel yeah. are paying attention to an SNP vote when they actually haven't probably even heard of the SNP. Uh, probably but, not, <laughs> no. They probably think it's something to do with Palestine. I imagine it's got P in it. But, you know, here's the thing. Um, we've got uh, David Cameron back in the government going off as, as what I called a kind of a tap-in to go and see Vladimir Zelensky. Uh, meanwhile, back here, we're preparing for more big marches at the weekend. Cyril Braverman's uh, words have come back to haunt Rishi Sunak because last night, uh, despite what we were told on Saturday last week, what we saw was the, um, uh, the Palestinian march kind of splintering off and people heading towards the cenotaph, heading towards war memorials, clambering all over them, only to be told by the police, well, we can't really arrest them uh, because it's not illegal. And this is some of the action from last night, which we saw live last night. But you can believe that on Saturday, this weekend, there's going to be more people marching and there's going to be more of this kind of thing. And when will there be an end to all of this? Yeah. I mean, it's now got to the point where our, the centre of our capital city is being taken over yeah. by a mob that makes it unsafe, not only for Jews to walk the streets, yeah. but actually for the rest of us to yeah. feel safe. And just very Walking irritating. The heart. Also, yeah. just very irritating. irritating and dangerous. Yeah, I mean, and, of course, it's a big nonsense, of course, the police saying... That, you, that they can't arrest people for climbing monuments when we know full well they arrested Greenpeace yeah. protesters when they climb monuments. Right. They're, they're petrified by political correctness and one must actually think, are they actually supportive of the cause? Well, you do begin to wonder about that. I mean, I saw some footage last night of a guy who was being quizzed by a police officer uh, because of something he shouted at the protesters. Basically said, you know, get out of here, bunch of terrorists or something like that. And the police officer was trying to sort of quiz him as to whether he might have committed a hate crime. And he's going, he said, well, they're supporting Hamas. He said, well, how do you know that? They're just on a, uh, they're on a, on a march uh, expressing their opinions. Well, I can guarantee you one thing. If we had seen English lads with uh, St George's flags on those right. monuments, they'd be in the nick right now. They would not be out, yeah, and they wouldn't, they'd, they'd, they'd be shining the street with their faces, I would imagine, as well, because they steamed in to those guys, absolutely no question at all. But, you know, we've now got the incredible situation where tomorrow, even before Saturday, schools are going out on strike, sort of Greta Thunberg style, to free Palestine. You know, the government has passed legislation, well, not, not just this government, saying that you cannot promote uncontested ideology and you cannot be, you cannot be partial or biased and promote your own views and beliefs in school. Right. And yet here we have clear partisanship uh, by teachers, by schools, apparently officially sanctioned. And uh, you have to ask, you know, what's going on here that, you know, there should be clear instructions sent down to yeah. the schools that they are forbidden. You know, we're always told about how important schooling is after COVID, yes. how much time kids have mm. missed out of the classroom. Now they're being taken out to support a political agenda. Yeah, well, this has been going on for a while. I remember when there was a big climate march, and this was some years ago when, when both of my... Um, uh, young, two youngest were, were still in sort of, um, secondary school, and they were told quite clearly by the head, oh, well, if you wish to go to London and take part in the march, we will give you permission to do so. Well, we know no, that... No, I'm going, sorry. 
We know in this country fewer than 10% of teachers vote for the Conservative Party or yeah. centre-right parties. Right. There's been a huge sea change over the last 20 years in our education system. And it was one thing to try and talk about how we deal with university students, but the rot sets in much earlier. Yes. You know, Aristotle said, give me a child of the age of seven yeah. and I will show you the man. Right. It's actually in primary mm. and secondary schools mm. that we're seeing the indoctrination of our children right. in a lot of very strange and disturbing ways of thinking, yeah. be it gender ideology, uh, be it, be it well, Black this, Lives uh, yeah. Matter, critical race right. theory. This is all coming down much younger. Once you're 18, the game's over, the battle's lost. Yeah. As I've always said, if the hair is blue, there's nothing you can do. No. Like, we have to go for them when they're much younger. Although I've got some good news on that front, because <laughs> that woman from Just Stop Oil who's got the blue hair, she's finally been locked up <laughs> for about six months, but she's been vowing to continue with her crusade. But, I mean, the thing is this, you're absolutely right, because the, the whole motive now for people on the march... It's nothing to do with climate change. It's nothing to do with Palestine. It's nothing to do with British sort of colonialism. It's everything. It's all of the above, isn't it? So they're all on the same page, having been taught that these things are evil, therefore we must fight against them. When you've got radical Islam, BLM, the socialist worker, <laughs> and Just Stop Oil yeah. all allying, you know this is not about Palestine. This is about something much more, more dangerous. It's anti-Semitism against Jews, yeah. they regard as being part of this capitalist conspiracy. Right. It's against Britain and it's against the West. These are the enemies of the West yeah. and all the values that we stand for. Yeah, well, I made a, a little monologue yesterday about all of the wars that have happened in the Middle East for, for decades and decades and decades. In the 70s, late 60s, you know, they were pretty much at war Israel the whole time. There were no marches in London about that. And there's quite simple uh, reasoning why. Because the people who are currently marching weren't here then. You know, there wasn't that kind of presence of people who are pro-Palestine and anti-Israel. The reason is because they hadn't moved here yet. That's true, but also when you see the marches, there are no, there's nothing comparable to what we're seeing every Saturday night now when we deal with, for example, Saudi Arabia bombing Yemen. Right. When the UN accused Saudi Arabia of human rights abuses yeah. for the murder of children. Mm. When we had the Syrian regime bombing its own people. Or when we had just last year, we had Iran, of course, brutally crushing protesters. Yeah. Where were those people protesting mm. there? You know, the Rohingya Muslims are called by the UN the world's most persecuted minority. I haven't even seen one person out on the streets no. protesting that. When Muslims kill other Muslims, or when anyone kills Muslims, nothing happens in the Muslim world unless it's Israel or Jews who are involved yeah, in it. Yeah, exactly, or America, or, or America. something like that. No. Um, but you'll be pleased to know there is now such a thing as the National School Strike for Palestine, uh, which is putting out all sorts of information to people. Uh, they've actually got one in Hackney, which sounds to me a bit like, I don't know if you remember Dave Sparts, who was this kind of figure in private eye, um, who was your sort of common or garden, you know, um, local communist, who would basically attach himself to any kind of, you know, anti-Western view, any, any kind of thing he could, he could stand up against. And so Hackney now has its own free Palestine movement, as does Burton, as does Harrow, as does Bristol, as does Redbridge in Essex. And in fact, in Essex, in Redbridge, their school strike is going to be organised outside the town hall. So presumably the local council are all OK with that as well. I try and take one of my kids out of school to take them to see their, you know, 95-year-old grandmother, uh, you get a fine. Exactly. And were parents consulted about all of this? I very I mean, much this, doubt this it. This is the problem. And, I've, I've, you know, I, I gave a speech on this uh, actually not so long ago. Parents need to get more involved yeah. in school, become school governors, get involved in all of this. If, t if teachers are, are basically held to account by mm. parents, you may at least have some semblance of, of balance yeah. coming into all of it. Well, here's the message. This week's action starts at 10am on Friday. Tell your friends, share as wide as you can. We need as many kids, young people and families striking for Palestine as possible. Let's make the MPs hear us loud. 
That's actually not really a very good sentence in English, so maybe they should be back in school learning what they actually... But, I mean, I do wonder... I don't know if you've seen this story about Osama bin Laden's letter to America. I do wonder whether there's any point in teaching some of these kids because there's almost as though they only want to be taught certain things. You know, they don't want to be told, actually, Osama bin Laden was a bad guy. They want to read his letter to America, uh, which I read today, uh, the original version published in 2002 in The Guardian, um, which had certain pieces of it left out certain sort of anti-Semitic tropes left out. You know, he talks about how, you know, the Jews run the world, they run the financial world, they run the financial uh, houses of the world. Um, they talk about how AIDS is, is, is a kind of revenge on homosexuality and it's killing the Western men because they're, they're terribly evil. I mean, it's an extraordinary thing that it's reared, reared its ugly head again because it's been republished. Yeah, well, you know, this is all about the demoralisation of the West. Yeah. We've now had 25, even 30 years of our children being inculcated with anti-British, anti-Western sentiment. We're told how Britain is uniquely racist in the world, that so Britain was responsible for slavery uniquely, yeah. even though Britain was the first country to abolish it, mm. that the British Empire was uniquely bad, and that actually, you know, there is no reason to be proud of this country. And when you're constantly fed and drip-fed this negativity about our civilization yeah. and our values, yeah. you, you begin to believe anything like this. Yes. You know, there was a, there was a very famous uh, KGB agent who came to America in Canada in the 70s, he said their plan was to basically demoralise and undermine the, the youth of America. It's mm. a 15 to 20 year project, after which it's impossible to convince them about any other arguments. Right. Yeah, and that's kind of where we are now, because those people marching, who will march this weekend and will go in these school strikes tomorrow, they will be absolutely utterly convinced that Israel is in the wrong. And I find, considering what's happened over the past sort of six weeks, since October the 7th, it's an extraordinary situation to be in. Well, of course, you have to realise they, they've got no other reason. And you actually, in a, in a sense, you can't blame the children mm. because they're not being exposed to any other point of view yeah. other than the point of view that their teachers are giving them. And right. what they're being told, essentially, is that Israel, for some reason, is the uniquely bad player in mm. this area, where, of course, we know that's, not, that's far from the case. Hamas, we have to understand, uh, has a millennialist, nihilistic... Uh, hatred for Israel yeah. that will, means there will never be a chance of peace because their entire goal is the destruction mm. of Israel. That's, that, that's, yeah. their, that's their raison d'etre. Yes, it's in literally their articles of association, as it is in, in Hezbollah's as well. Uh, we've got some uh, developments in Israel, and we'll be talking to Richard Kemp, who's out there uh, later on in the show, of course, because it turns out uh, that Israel, we think, have targeted one of the homes uh, of one of the Hamas leaders, uh, who, of course, is absent without leave over in Qatar, because that's where he lives. You're watching The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Stick around, though, because up next, uh, we're going to have a pop at Softy Starmer after dozens of MPs defied his ceasefire stance. Plus, with the court sinking the Rwanda policy, we'll investigate what alternative solution Captain Hindsight is offering up to solve the migrant crisis. We'll have more coming up after this. Welcome back. You're watching The Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Keir Starmer stuffed it up again. So Keir sent out close allies to face the cameras in London today uh, and warned rebels to stop acting like they are in a protest party after 10 front benches quit their jobs to demand a ceasefire in Gaza. Uh, well, back with me in the studio is historian and broadcaster Rafe Hadel Manku. And joining us down the line, a chief political commentator at The Independent, a good friend of the show, Mr John Rental. John, very nice to see you. Um, and welcome Hello, to the, uh, well, the, the newly... Welcome back. The newly turbocharged uh, Independent Republic, 9pm to 11pm, Monday to Thursday. Uh, it's a thing of, uh, of some beauty. We're going to try and get a bit more rowdy than we used to get in the morning. So I understand from Rafe that you were picked by Dominic Cummings as um, one of his choices for a woke cabinet. 
Oh, I was. Yeah, uh, I yeah. didn't know that. I was. Yeah. Uh, I, Dominic Cummings told me off on Twitter for defending, uh, allegedly defending Matt Hancock. Um, I did. I mean, I did say that I thought Matt, Matt Hancock was an extremely hardworking minister, uh, but. Uh, uh, Dominic Cummings seemed to take offence at that. And, yeah, uh, well, I mean, I mean, he, me as a, he, 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 I think he referred to him as a proven liar in his testimony, did he not, uh, at uh, the COVID <laughs> inquiry? So he obviously doesn't share your yeah, view. Well, well, yeah, well, Dominic Cummings um, also edited his own uh, his own blog, so he he, he can't really talk. Uh, no, he can't. Well, nobody can really, can they? I mean, this. I mean, I haven't spoken to you for a while, but I mean, I've never seen uh, such a complete and utter shambles, balls up, omni shambles, whatever you want to call it, uh, as this week has become for Rishi Sunak. I mean, I, on Monday, I honestly didn't think he would fire Suella Braverman before Wednesday. I thought he might at least hang on until then. But presumably, he felt that there was nothing else he could do because she just wouldn't stop saying things that were clearly contrary yeah. to his plan. Well, no, he he decided to, to uh, get rid of her anyway. Uh, he he wasn't quite sure when to when to do the reshuffle. But I mean, that was obviously going to be Monday. Right. And then uh, what what he wanted to do was was uh, knock her off all the headlines by getting David Cameron in, uh, which he succeeded in doing for for twenty four hours, and yeah. then uh, and then published her poison. A poison pen letter. Well, about 24 minutes, I would have said, because, I mean, once everybody had sort of fallen uh, and, and got their breath back and gone, sorry, David Cameron, is that, is that right? <laughs> um, uh, you know, suddenly now uh, they found themselves with the same situation, except Suella Bravman just wasn't in the cabinet. And all the things that she said Well, that's a much better situation, but not well, having Suella Bravman in the cabinet is a better situation for Rishi Sunak. I mean, she was trouble and has been trouble for, for quite some time. I mean, she... She lacks discipline. And she's not a team player. Um, whatever. I mean, whether you, whether you agree with her or not, she's not. A, she she wasn't a very effective minister, and he was quite right to, to get rid of her. Well, uh, so you can say that. You can and you call it a uh, shambles. Well, the fact that it is a shambles because they haven't done any of the things that they said they were going to do. They've got rid of one of the people that was actually doing quite a good job of convincing the public, who I know you don't like talking about very much, um, actually, you what? know... Um, well, you know, because you, you don't you mix in the Westminster bubble, you don't really know the public. The public oh, what say... Utter nonsense, Mike. What utter nonsense. Now, the whole point about Suella Braverman is that she wasn't delivering. She wasn't actually... No, doing, and doing she's told stuff. us why, because she's told us why she wasn't delivering, because one, yeah, the she, Home Office wasn't doing its job, and Rishi Sunak yeah. wasn't listening to her. And who was in charge of the Home Office? I mean, yeah, we've had, we've had some ridiculous sob story about how uh, Rishi Sunak wouldn't let her do all the things she wanted to do. We haven't actually seen what it was she wanted to do uh, and how he was stopping her. Well, I mean, uh, she's she explained it. Rafe, let me, let me bring Rafe in here, because Rafe, I'm sure, will bring some sense to this conversation. Um, <laughs> tell us that uh, John yeah, Rensselaer's got I, I this will, completely wrong. I used, to, I used to be a great critic of Swala Braverman, saying she, she talks tough, but where's the action? But yeah. when we read that letter, my God, suddenly my sympathies were on her side. Yeah. There she was behind the scenes doing her best to actually deliver mm. on what the great British public wanted, and she was thwarted and obstacles were put into her place in every single turn. Of course, and now we know, of course, it wasn't just done by number 10. We've had a, a piece out by another journalist, Steve Eddington, showing how the Home Office deliberately yes. tried to thwart uh, anything to do with, with stopping migrant boats, for mm. example. I mean, just remember, of course, the chief of the Home Office 
in charge of asylum, left there to get a job at Amnesty International. Right. I mean, you couldn't make it up, right? That's the blob that mm. Suella Bravin was trying to deal with. And getting rid of her but, is the greatest betrayal of the Red War. Yeah. And, and, and but that's it. <clears throat> you know, the idea, John, and, and Stephen Nation is on with us a bit later on in the show. I mean, the idea that, uh, that the, basically the, the Tory party has now gone back to the future... They've all strapped themselves into the DeLorean and, and, and gone in the time capsule, and they've gone back to where it was before the referendum. Yeah, and they've now got people like George Osborne piping up, saying, oh, uh, well, there's no chance now of ditching the ECHR because uh, David Cameron's back in the Cabinet. I mean, it's nonsensical. I don't, I don't know where you've been, Mike, but, uh, but yesterday... I've been uh, everywhere. The yesterday, the Prime Minister gave me a press conference, which made it absolutely clear that, uh, no, we have not gone back to the pre 2016. Oh, right. Okay, then. Uh, he's, he's, going to, uh, he, he's going to deliver what Suella Braverman failed to deliver, uh, and he's going to try to stop the boats, and he's, he's No, he's not, not going, going to try to, to stop the, the boats. No, hang on, John. He's going to stop the boats. That's what he keeps saying. But the fact that you believe what he says so shows me that it's time you had quite a long holiday. No. Because the fact is no, no. That, that Rishi Sunak has been saying things ever since he's been Prime Minister and done the square root of bugger all. No, that's not quite true. But I mean, well, what's I he think done he then? Has... Give me one of his well, achievements, apart from, and the so Safety he's... Institute doesn't count. Well, he's halved inflation. No, he um, hasn't. But he... No, he, he hasn't has... halved inflation. <laughs> inflation has been halved, not because he did anything. <laughs> true. Uh, but he didn't do anything to stop inflation being halved, which is quite important because uh, people were suggesting. Well, he, he didn't do anything that. to stop it going up either. Yes, he did. No, he didn't. He, he, he subsidised your energy bills. I don't know if you... I mean, the, the problem is... I didn't want didn't him to subsidise my nobody, energy nobody bill. Noticed it. Nobody's grateful for it, but he subsidised your energy bills. No, he didn't. No, I subsidised <laughs> your energy bill, John. Which... Well, you know, it's our money. It's not his money. Down. It's our uh, money so that he's been subsidising everybody with, not, your, not his own money. Yeah, but he did contribute to keeping inflation down in that way. Uh, so, yes, he has, he has done something. Uh, the idea that Suella Braveman was prevented from stopping the boats by uh, by Rishi Sunak, I'm afraid, is, uh, is is absurd. I mean, anyone who believes all that nonsense she put in her letter uh, really really ought to read it again. Well, uh, I've I read mean, it more than knows. once, and I do believe it because I think that Rishi Sunak is not fit for the job. I don't well, think well, he knows. Well, no, I don't think he knows. No, hang on. This is a guy. This is a guy who made five promises at the beginning of the year, and he said, judge me by the end of the year, and if I haven't made these promises work, uh, then you can take your action then. So let's have a look yeah. at those those particular... Apart from inflation, which you agreed just now with me, has got nothing to do with him. He hasn't cut no, the weight... No, I didn't agree well, you with did. you, Mike. No, I said well, it has got something to do with no, him. Because, because no, because you actually... No, no, your explanation as to how giving people free money manages to keep inflation down is so insane that you should be working for Vladimir Putin. You know, the bottom line no, is, right, that, he didn't stop the boats, work. number one. He hasn't brought the waiting list down at the NHS. In fact, they've gone up. He hasn't no, created any growth because nobody's got enough money to invest in anything. Um, I can't even remember what the other two were. He hasn't debt, done those debt. either. The, the debt is still going up. Oh, yeah, the debt's absolutely. still going up. That's number four. What was number five? That, yeah, I think you've done them all. I think I've only done well, four. No. Anyway, he's done none of that. He's done absolutely nothing. So you've got nil point on any of those five scenarios. 
No, well, hang on, and and he and he's cut the he's cut the boats by thirty percent. He claimed. No, he hasn't. Um, Only because the, the, weather, tide, the weather's the been weather bad. Has, <laughs> the weather's done that. But let me get Rafe back I mean, in because I want to talk to you. The great thing about John Rensel is right that he's a playwright, and quite openly admits it. But I was getting him on here, and he ends up defending the Tory party against my uh, you know incessant because, attacks on. Well, them. it's only natural because the Tory party is Blair light, <laughs> isn't it? It's conservative in name only. Yes, and that's the thing about this government. Thirteen years of them. They love, to, they love to sound tough. They love to get those headlines right. on the red tops. They've done nothing. Knowing full well nothing will ever happen. Yeah. And unfortunately, you know, despite having promised to get immigration down to the tens of thousands, mm. for example, they never deliver, but somehow the British public keep re-electing yeah. them. And it's amazing how in the last few months, just before we get to a general election, we now suddenly have Rishi Sunak saying what a woman is. You know, finally. Now, yeah. we, get, now we get this whole thing about boats when he knew full well it was going to be knocked down by the Supreme Court. But that, of course, sets him up as a champion of the people yeah. against the unelected judges. All of this is just merely more spin. It's all cobblers. Absolute rubbish. Let's talk about Keir no, Starmer. I don't, agree. I don't agree with any of that. No, Rishi Sunak did not know that he was going to lose in the Supreme Court. Well, he should have done. I mean, he was, what? He was doing it deliberately in order well, to no, lose. But he I mean, no, but he should have known he was going to lose. He should have known. No, he shouldn't have done. He shouldn't have done. He should have. He should have won. He had a very strong case. I was very surprised that the uh, that, that the judges took took the view they did, uh, but uh, but they did. And he's the judges, now on to, the judges will always take that view because the judges will always side with the Court of Appeal and the bloody United Nations. But let's talk about Keir Starmer. No, that's, not, that's, not, that's not true. Yeah, it is yeah. true. And we're moving and on now. So we're moving on to Keir Starmer now because you can defend him if you like. Um, he seems to get yeah, himself I'll, into... I'll defend a, him. Yeah, OK, he, next. He seems to, Well, you wrote, you wrote a piece saying that he shouldn't have done what he did, didn't you? No. I, I said, thought you did. I, I, said, <laughs> I said that that, that rebellion last night mm. uh, was, was, not, was not a serious problem for him. But I think... What what he what might be a problem for him is his ruthless attitude and his lack of empathy in dealing with uh, MPs who came crying to him saying uh, saying they're very unhappy and they yes. wanted uh, they wanted to be allowed to call for a ceasefire and he well you he said sent them well, the, the 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 headline on your piece here from the Indie Premium which which I'm not paying for uh, says Keir Starmer's <laughs> ruthless stance on Gaza is asking for trouble that sounds to yeah, me like you're being critical. Yeah, no, I think I think it is his attitude to uh, to to some of the rebels uh, is asking for trouble because some of them uh, went away from uh, meeting him, thinking that he wasn't very sympathetic to to them. And yeah. uh, whereas somebody somebody like like Tony Blair would have would have been just as uh, hard line on the on on the issue, but would have allowed them to go away thinking that he he really cared and that he was very sympathetic. Well, to them. Tony Blair had the had the advantage of being a great communicator, though, and he was a very charming yeah. individual. Starmer is neither of those things. Quite, and I think that that is his problem. That is that is all that that, that article says. I mean, apart from that, the article says that um, you know the rebellion doesn't really matter. It's mostly Labour MPs being rather uh, self indulgent and thinking that they can uh, you know by by voting in in the in the UK Parliament, losing a vote in the UK Parliament, they can somehow influence uh, influence Israel's behaviour. I mean, it's absurd. But do you not see this as a bit of a, a sort of watershed moment for British politics, where um, an event in another part of the world uh, is causing sort of angst for sitting MPs who are worried that they might lose their constituency support if they don't do something like this? Well, no, I mean. No, I, mean, I, I don't think there are that, that many MPs who are worried about losing their seats. I mean, there, there may be. There may be a few. I mean, I think a, a lot of them are uh, genuinely upset by what they what they see in the in, in the Middle East. I mean, I think they're wrong to call for a ceasefire, but I can understand why they uh, why they feel strongly about it and uh, and, and want to 
Uh, signal their virtue. But well, I mean, they I want think to signal their virtue. I think that's the point, isn't it, Rafe? I mean, it's, it's yeah. all about virtue signaling. It's not about, um, you know, worrying about the children of Gaza. It's more about worrying about the votes that they're going to lose if they don't go along and look very sympathetic. Well, it is quite remarkable that so much energy suddenly applies now when we're dealing with only two million people in a yeah. tiny sliver of land. Right. And there have been so many other equally bad, if not worse, events happening yeah. in recent memory that haven't held any of this. It's a wonderful, actually, example of why is there so much focus just on, on this cause? But, yeah, I mean, but as John was quite saying, these MPs are living in cloud cuckoo land mm. if, they th if they think that the vote of the British Parliament is going to have any... If it even makes it into the newspapers in yeah. Israel, I'd be, I'd be quite amazed and, and surprised about that. Absolutely. Final question for you, John. Does Rishi Sunak make it to the next election, or do you think he actually oh, yeah. ends up he ends up having to take a step back? Because uh, I've heard a very interesting theory, which I'm not going to share with you just yet, um, but it involves <laughs> David Cameron and a bit of a takeover. <laughs> no, I think that's absurd. I mean, you know, the, the Tory party has done itself so you much. You wouldn't say that if you knew he told me. Changing its leader too often. Uh, recently, and uh, so the, the solution to the problems caused by changing its leader too often is not to change its leader again. Uh, that is that is just going to make things worse. I mean, you know, you would you think it's quite hard to to, to make things worse, but I think the, the, the Tory party is quite capable of uh, of doing that. <laughs> no, but I think they are. I don't think as, as is Keir Starmer. <laughs> well, Keir Starmer. Yes, I was 22 points ahead in the opinion polls, uh, Mike. I don't think he's doing terribly badly. No, but I mean, uh, but, I think I'd be, I'd be long, I'd be 25 percent uh, ahead in the opinion polls. The Tories are that bad. <laughs> I mean, reform are catching him up at this point. Any other you leader, know. any you other know. leader would be 20 points ahead. Yeah, yeah literally, you know, people. Donald Duck would probably be, you know, 20 points ahead of them at this point. But it doesn't very. No, good I don't to think that. To... I don't think that is true for a moment. But I think the, uh, I think the idea that Tory MPs are going to uh, ditch, uh, ditch Rishi Sunak before the election. It's absurd. They, uh, they've had quite enough of that, thank you. And most of them have just given up and we're just waiting for, uh, waiting for the sweet embrace of uh, electoral death. <laughs> you put it so well. Thank you very much indeed. Good to see you, John. Uh, we'll see you back in here hopefully okay. soon next time. Uh, I know it's a bit Look late for you. Uh, very good. He has to cycle around London in the dark. It's not safe. Uh, you're watching the Independent Republican Mike Graham. Coming up, uh, Rafe is going to stay put, apparently. Um, and also, uh, there's controversy for The Crown as a new book sheds light on an unanswered phone call between William and Harry. And I do promise you that this is not me going woke, uh, but for the first time maybe in history, I'm going to back the BBC. Stay tuned for that story coming next. Now, I'm not usually a fan of the BBC, as most of you probably already know, but uh, this week, Emma Barnett, the host of Radio 4's Woman's Hour, did what you'd hope a show called Woman's Hour would do and actually defended women. She spoke to the new chief executive officer of the charity Endometriosis South Coast, an endometriosis is a painful condition caused by womb-like tissue growing outside the uterus. So, obviously, it's an issue affecting women. And it actually does affect Emma Barnett. But remarkably, the charity's new boss, Steph Richards, is trans. Here's what Emma had to say to her. There is a concern that as a trans activist now running, being a CEO of an endometriosis charity for women, that you will not preserve the importance of things like the word woman and that experience. 
Now, uh, I know Emma Barnett. She's been around uh, and done columns in newspapers and done lots of different television and radio jobs, and I think she's um, a pretty good interviewer, actually. And even though I would normally have a go at the BBC for all manner of things, and I may well be having a go at them later on, in this particular case, I think she got it right because it's so ludicrous to have a particular charity, um, which is a particular, um, shall we say, difficulty that women have, and many women have it, um, but in order to have it, you have to be a woman. She was accused of bullying and conducting a disgraceful interview by, guess what? A man. Yeah, Labour MP Ben Bradshaw came out uh, and basically criticised the way that she had interviewed Steph Richard and said that it was very insensitive and she should have realised that trans women are just the same as women. Well, except that they don't have a womb, they don't have ovaries, they don't have a uterus and they don't have fallopian tubes, all of which are required for you to unfortunately suffer if you're unlucky enough from endometriosis. So I think this particular charity has caught themselves, uh, unfortunately, rather out of step uh, with common sense. And therefore, I say, Emma Barnett, good on you. And leave her alone, Ben Bradshaw. You're a bloke as well, so you've got no business telling her how she should talk about women and how she should actually uh, rescue the image of women, most of whom feel very put upon by this whole trans activism Debate. Rafe Hadel Mancou has, has stayed with me. I mean, you probably saw this story a bit earlier on yeah. um, in the week. It is extraordinary how virtue signalling has now reached epic proportions, particularly in charities. Yeah, but it's also remarkable how it's so often it's men now who is, we're seeing who are taking up the trans flag, if I can mm. put it that way. Yes. Including, you know, intimidating women physically at right. marches and at protests. Oh, it's horrible. I find it, it very disturbing. Look, you know when Woman's Hour is actually on side on this issue that actually we are perhaps coming to a tipping point. We saw it with sports athletes yeah. and the, 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 the clear advantages that trans women have over, over women in sports. You're seeing it now where decent people are actually now speaking up about this. Right. Obviously, knowing that they're going outside of their comfort zone, but they're doing it because they actually there is a real serious issue here about women's rights mm. and women's lives. And when you get things like the women's hour speaking up about this, right. I think it should be enough for everyone to take notice. Yeah, absolutely right. And there is absolutely no necessity whatsoever to appoint a trans woman who has not got any experience particularly of anything other than campaigning. They say that she's a campaigner, she's an activist, she's actually a trans activist, um, and she's worked for local councils in places. Uh, but what she hasn't done is represented women in any kind of medical arena. I mean, people made the argument to me yesterday, well, what about per, um, you know, male gynaecologists? Surely they shouldn't be doing that either. Well, no, because that's a doctor. And a doctor is a very different individual with a very different set of skills and qualifications than somebody who happens to just be some kind of activist who wants to push a particular gender ideology. Well, and the disturbing thing here, of course, be it in this case or be it more broadly with quotas and so mm. forth, that this virtue signalling is actually putting into positions of great power people who invariably tend to turn out to yeah. be unqualified for the right. job, not the best candidate. Handling loads of money as well, but yeah. uh, given to them by people who are hopeful uh, that this will actually help the cause of women. But, you know, unbelievably so, uh, the continuation of the scandal uh, that is the reworking of words and the reworking of all sorts of things in our current society. Now, we've been uh, not shy about having a little controversy here at Talk TV. Uh, and today, the very first half of the final controversial season of The Crown has dropped on Netflix. And it certainly had people talking. Let's take a little look. don't really understand how I ended up here. Dashing around and losing sight of myself in the process. You know, I think that's been the story of my whole life. 
I mean, I'm sorry to say that I have found uh, every clip of The Crown that I've seen to be complete and utter balderdash um, and rubbish, because what it isn't, you're an historian, uh, is history. Yeah, well, if I could put my raw commentator crown on, yes. one, of, one, of the, um, one of the downsides of my job is actually having to watch things like Harry and Meghan's Netflix documentary, having to sit through... I mean, I had to sit through that Yeah, well. having, to sit, having to sit through this. I mean, the, the, the greatest problem I have with all of this is that so many people watch this believing it to be an accurate yes. historical drama. Particularly in America. Particularly apparently. in America, but also, actually, importantly, in Canada and Australia, mm. where they're going to be having big yeah. debates about the future of the monarchy in their yes. countries. And I know from personal experience from contacts that the mothers of my friends and so forth actually believe this is a real thing. Now, I happened to watch the uh, Jeffrey Dahmer biopic on, oh, yes. uh, on Netflix not, not a few months ago, and there, there was a disclaimer at the beginning. Mm. This, this is a, a dramatised... You know, account. Right. Not, not, not everything in this is true. Yeah. Why can't Peter Morgan and the and, and the Crown actually bother to put up something like that at the beginning of it? Yes. It's such a small things to do, particularly now when we're dealing with people's lives. Yes. People who are alive today, very real. Well, I heard. Very I raw heard. Emotions. Yeah. I heard a story today that, that Harry over in uh, Montecito uh, is going to get some kind of um, um, what do they call those um, uh, editors that's going to look at it for him. Um, in order to see whether or not it's going to be upsetting for him to, to see. It's like those... Uh, it's a personal trigger warning. Yeah, it's, it's a personal trigger warning. It's like those you know, book publishing companies that have sensitivity editors to read the book before they decide whether it's worth publishing. Someone sitting holding his hand. Yeah, so he's going to have... Thing, covering so, his eyes. So this 40-year-old man is going to have uh, a sensitivity editor to watch the episodes for him. Because also, one of the things that I think has completely discredited The Crown as any kind of reasonable... Um, uh, a record of anything is that they've got Diana appearing in the end episodes as a ghost oh, well, after true. her that's death. Historically true. You know? Well, I mean, you're not <laughs> the first Wikipedia. person to say that. Uh, but... Look, Peter Morgan, the chap who wrote this, mm. you know, I mean, he's gone into the most intimate and embarrassing aspects of the life of our current king and 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 of, and of our current queen and so forth. And yet, when the media, when the, when I think it was the Sun, tried to investigate his life, mm. you know, his failed marriage to Gillian Anderson. Yeah. Prior to that, with a, I think it was a Czech princess, mm. he had his lawyers. Uh, shut them down and yes. say, please respect the privacy of, of our client. Well, so we know what's source for the goose. <laughs> well, it's a little bit like Harry, isn't it? You know, suing newspapers right left the sense of, well, invading everybody's privacy, including his own brothers. Um, and they're still having a massive row because there's a new book out now by Omid Scobie, uh, who's the latest sort of, you know, villain of the piece, who's going to be serving up what we believe to be things told to him by Harry and Meghan. We're not sure yet whether they're still kind of on board with him. We don't know yet whether they're still going to be um, in agreement with the book being published. Um, but certainly he's sort of dredging up old conversations, dredging up the time around the, the Queen's death, saying that, you know, William refused to take Harry's call. William said, that's not true, absolute rubbish. You know, so the, 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 the kind of the line now between fiction and facts... Um, is very blurred. Well, Omid Scobie, as we know, is a one-trick pony. Yeah. There's, there's nothing, there's no other... One-trick Scobie. <laughs> one-trick Scobie, there's no old Scobie, yeah. yeah. There's no other trick to, to his to quiver to his bow than this. Uh, and he's giving it one last, you know, dead beating of the horse because we know, of course, behind the scenes, perhaps there's a rapprochement beginning yeah. to start between Prince Harry and His Majesty. Of course, a rapprochement between the two brothers is very much more... Unlikely. Yes. Uh, but of course, we know why this is all happening. It's because down in Montecito, they realize that all of their star power is based upon their proximity yeah. to the real crown, not the yes. Netflix crown. Not the imagined And uh, that they realize all of their projects are going nowhere. No one is mm. bothered to watch their programs on Netflix, right. you know, when they deal with the Invictus games and yes. so forth. And so, of course, now, 
at the 11th hour, they're realizing their star is fading, yeah. and so suddenly the royal family is looking attractive again, and so maybe it's time to reach out. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, they have got the bare-faced cheek of people that I've never seen anything like. Um, but asking you um, to come in tonight, one of the questions I wanted to put to you before you go, uh, because we're not here tomorrow night, Plank of the Week is on instead, um, it's impossible to predict the way things are going to go in politics anymore, but... You know, Rishi Sunak claims he's going to introduce this emergency legislation uh, for the boats um, to send people to Rwanda. Lee Anderson has said, oh, we should just ignore everything and just do it anyway. I mean, what do you think is going to happen as far as the next sort of week or so goes? Oh, well, I, well, we know for a fact that they're going to put forward this whole concept of having a treaty. And yeah. once you have a treaty, essentially, and if, parli- if sanctioned by Parliament perhaps as well, right. that essentially gives, gives it, makes it far less likely that the courts will be able to intervene or will be willing yeah. to intervene. But I really want to say, you know, this whole discussion about Rwanda has taken up so much, so many hours in the media in the last couple of days. It's a complete distraction. It's a huge distraction yeah. from the reality it's of... It's not the of, real story, is it? The, no, and the real story, of course, is legal migration. Yeah. Of course, where we have 1.2 million people coming, and as as terrible as illegal migration is, it's legal migration that's affecting every everyday people yes. in their daily lives. But also, of course, I for years been saying we should be focusing on having one of the British overseas territories, like the Ascension Island, yeah. as our offshore processing centre. If we were using the Ascension Island, we would immediately overnight eliminate all of the legal arguments that were raised by the Supreme Court, right. because we wouldn't be dealing with another country. Right. It will be our own country doing it. Australia did this with Nauru, a small island, a thousand miles off the coast of Australia, if they could do it to great effect too, we should be able to do it here. We also need to be really serious. It's not that difficult to actually get control of this whole thing. You know, we need to do what a French politician said, which was essentially to make Britain less attractive than France. And you do that by cracking down on the black market, for Mm. example. It's so easy for illegal immigrants here to slip away into the underground economy Mm. of the curry houses and so forth. You you don't get that in France at all. Do you remember there was a a bunch of people arrested on mopeds down in Brighton who were delivering food for very various fast food companies and various, you know, food delivery companies. They were all illegal, every single one of them. And we also need to empty all of the hotels, all of the private accommodation. Mm. We need to have, for those people who are already here, before they're processed and deported, we need to actually have, just have refugee camps. Yeah. In the 1950s, you know, we had National Service yeah. British guys living in Nissan huts. Mm. In the 21st century, with mod cons, we can very easily house refugees in those camps. We also actually need to finally take a grip of the fact that the Home Office is approving mm. 75% of applications yeah. compared to 72%. It's 25% yes. in France. Well, they approve them because they take mm. so long to do it. Um, and, but we've seen so many different cases, haven't we, of people who just claim to be gay or claim to be uh, under persecution of one kind or another. Nobody questions it. They just go, OK, just tick the box. You're in. That's the end of that. But, but what well, we know is you're going to be speaking to your next guest, I think, too, about the Home Office mm. and how the Home Office yeah. is complicit in actually advancing a pro-migrant yeah. policy. We need to actually take the processing of applications out of the Home Office. Yes. And I don't know why no one else has called for this. Yeah. We need to hire many more people to process the 170,000 backlog mm. that we have. But that mustn't be done within the Home Office because that's actually one of the root causes of the problem and of this very high yes. application acceptance rate. And the other thing we need to do is we need to get the French to do what the Belgians do and intercept boats actually in the channel yeah. when they're in the water, in the water rather yeah. than what they're doing now, which they say that they're not allowed to do. Yeah. And if they won't do it, then we should send our chaps over to France and have them do it for them. It doesn't sound complicated. It's not difficult it like at all. <laughs> it really is not difficult at all. And I can't believe how ridiculous this situation has become. And you're absolutely right to say that the whole Rwanda thing is just a distraction because that's not the story. Because even if it were the case that something would work, you'd still end up with 165,000 people who couldn't go. 
because they can only take 500 at a time. So there we are. Rafe, really great to see you. Thank you so much for staying with us. Rafe Hadel Manku, of course, uh, from the New Culture Forum. You're watching the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Coming up, I want to hear from you. So pick up the phone and do the right thing. 0344 499 1000. Calls will cost the national rate. Plus, Edinburgh Castle was in lockdown. What have these bloody eco-activists been up to this time? Find out next. Welcome back. You're watching the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Now it's time for taking the mic. Have you ever wondered what's gone wrong with our society? I mean, have you seriously wondered why there are so many young people in the bloom of their youth who are frightened of everything? Frightened of the climate? They're frightened of having a drink? They're too scared to go out on dates? Lots of them have even given up on having sex because they don't know anyone who wants to have sex with them. I can't be surprised. If you wanted to start the end of civilization, this would be how you would do it. Get people out of the habit of having children and see where that ends up. It's not working out too well, is it? I don't think there has been a time in our history when so many well-off, highly educated, but pretty dim youngsters are so willing to glue themselves to things, vandalise buildings, climb statues, and generally make idiots of themselves for some lost cause or other. We've had Extinction Rebellion, Insulate Britain, Just Stop Oil, Animal Rebellion, uh, who seem to think standing in an expensive food hall emptying cartons of milk is somehow akin to storming the Bastille. The latest addition to these time-wasters and narcissists has emerged up in Scotland, where they're normally more used to freezing in the dark of winter than we are. This is Rigged, is their name, and they've been busy this week getting Edinburgh Castle shut down thanks to a pointless prank involving the Stone of Scone. Two women aged 20 and 24 and a bloke aged 20 tried to smash a glass box and steal the stone from it. Naturally, they failed. But they did manage to spray paint the words the people are mightier than the Lord in Gaelic on it. The reason they did it is even more mad than most of these ridiculous groups. They said they wanted to pressure supermarkets to reduce the price of baby products and called on the Scottish government to fund a community food hub for 500 people. What? These morons seem to think our crops are failing and our water sources are drying up. I mean, have you seen the bloody rain this week? We really do have to ask ourselves as parents, what on earth are we letting these kids get away with? And when is this ludicrous trend of protest going to end? Now, lots of you have been getting in touch and we want to go straight to the call, so let's go straight to them. Steve is in Manchester. Hi, Steve. How you doing, Michael? Good, sir. What can I do for you? Well, it's fantastic to talk to you for a start. I've never thought I would ever have a conversation with you, but I want to talk about what's going on hmm. at the moment in this country. Yeah. So, Everything needs dragging back, I think, to the 60s where we were going on about Diburgis and Perfumo and stuff like that, right? Yeah. And we were just kind of identifying on these guys. But what really happened in this country, mm. and, and you can see it now, is all the education system now, all, all, all the relevant sort of um, things in life, like, you know, um, they, they, they were kind of like dragged into this sort of social Marxist almost uh, yeah. movement. Right. And if you look at stuff now, what's going on is just absolutely dreadful. That was something I started on um, talk, talk uh, TV on that, what is it, 90% of people are in, teachers are into labour. Yeah. 
kind of we've been dragged into this over about 40, 50 years. Mate. Yeah. No, it's not just happened. No, no, it's I mean? happened over a long period of time, but it's been particularly bad, I would say, in the last kind of generation. So the kids who are now in their 20s have only ever known left-wing stuff. Exactly, exactly. And then, then COVID comes in, Mike. Yeah. And COVID is like, oh, my God, we can do what we want to do here. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, we can just, like, smother everyone. This con- Listen, I'm, I'm a, I, I was, like, until about 10 years ago, a proud British man, yeah. a proud English man. I look at my country now and I go, what is going on? We've got people well, jumping this is over war memorials and stuff yeah. like that. And nobody Literally stops man. them. And, and the police say they can't do anything Mike, about it. What is going on? You tell me, man. What's going on, man? Well, listen, we're going to spend a lot of time together um, because we're going to be talking about this, Steve. Uh, what is going on? What is going wrong? And what we can do to fix this? I think it's time. Uh, you're watching The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. We're going to stay tuned, of course, for the next hour because there's a new migrant loophole that's been discovered. Also, we'll be bringing you tomorrow's newspapers today. And we'll be back after this. Good evening. You're watching The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on talk. We're on TV, we're on radio, we're online. And, of course, we're on your smart speaker. Tonight, Rebel, Rebel. More strife for Sakir Starmer as Labour sees the biggest rebellion of his leadership. Ten of his front benches were among 56 Labour MPs voting for an immediate ceasefire in Gaza. And a concerning trend on TikTok sees young influencers reading out Osama bin Laden's notorious letter to America. Unbelievable. And GQ's Man of the Year goes to... I'm not going to tell you... It's Kim Kardashian. She's not a man. What's going on? Welcome back. We're going to take some more of your calls in this hour, but also we're going to talk to Hugh Andre as well about the uh, big weekend that we just had last weekend uh, for Armistice Day. And, of course, there's another big weekend of marching coming up this weekend. Uh, don't forget, you can get in touch with the show on all the socials at Talk TV and on the phones. This is the number you'll need, 0344 499 1,000 calls cost the national rate, and we will, of course, be doing that uh, in this hour of the show. Uh, but before we do any of that... How about this? Here's one that'll get you going. An asylum seeker from Nigeria was granted refugee status by the Home Office because he told them he was gay and couldn't return to his homeland because he would face persecution from terrorists in Boko Haram. This week, Saheed Aziz was up in Bolton Crown Court on a charge of masterminding a £220,000 parcel fraud on 272 unsuspecting victims who he persuaded to send things to him to sell on their behalf. He sold them all right, but then he kept all the money. The real kicker to the story, though, is that it turns out since he's been here, he's fathered three children with three different women. And his lawyer... Millions of people have lost weight with personalised plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. 
You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Claims he now considers himself to be bisexual. As you might expect, she also claims that he can't be sent back to Nigeria because, of course, he's got parental duties to carry out. Brilliant. So when the Home Office say they'll do absolutely nothing to help the government on immigration, they're not kidding. And it looks like we're stuck with him. Now, coming up later on the show as well, we'll bring you the first look at tomorrow's front pages. Before anyone else, we've got an exclusive look uh, at the Sun newspaper, and we've got that page uh, in front of us, 13. Uh, Rwanda flight 2024 is not a given, uh, is inside the paper. And the front part, the front of it there is PC gone mad. Uh, cops warned saying policeman is illegal. We'll bring you all the details on that uh, coming up a little bit later on. I mean, some of the things going on in this world today are, quite frankly, incredible. Hugh Andre is here, though, uh, for Veterans good Voice. Evening, good evening, and very good to see you, uh, because there are some things in the world that remain a constant, and one of them, hopefully and happily, is Armistice Day, uh, Remembrance Sunday, you were there. Indeed, um, yes. We're going to be looking at some pictures of your attendance there with some of your old colleagues. And, and, and a wonderful day it was, despite all the nonsense of the day before. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it's, you know, it's a weekend for the nation to remember and pay respect yeah. to the fallen. And, uh, and it's really important. I mean, I've said this so many times that, you know, this is part of our her heritage. It's part of our history. So many people who, who fought and died for, for what we have today... Um, need to have a day, just at least one day a year to be remembered. Yeah, and I, you know, I, I had you know, the good fortune, the privilege to meet up with lots of old soldiers, yeah. comrades, and um, they, they were, frankly, all laughing at what had gone on the day before. On the Saturday, yeah. Yeah, they didn't have really much time for any, for any of that. No. It was far more important why we were there, mm. who we were there to remember, and, you know, and, and also to, to meet up with... Um, Old friends, yeah. old comrades who right. they hadn't seen for a while. Um, we mentioned the train strikes. Yes. Certainly there were there are four or five lads who'd come up from Andover and it'd take them about six hours right. to get up. Yeah, because like, for some reason, it wasn't, they weren't striking, were they? But they, they were still on, made it. sort of engineering works yeah. being done. And also, I mean, I don't know how much you can blame Sadiq Khan for this, but the Jubilee line was shut down. And that's the line that basically takes you to yeah. most of the parts of London that you would want to go yeah. on, on, uh, on Remembrance Sunday. And that was shut. So a lot of people were getting free lifts in cabs. I think uh, we, we talked about that last week. Um, black cabs always doing a great job of, of uh, giving yeah. veterans a lift to wherever they need to go. But as always, you know, the great British Tom, great British soldier, he had a smile on his face. Yeah. He was going to make it what, come what yeah. may. And he didn't let it get him down. And, you know, that's, that's, well, I think that's what they're the, all about. Yeah, that's part of, of knowing what you know, obviously, mm. being, having been in it of the armed forces, and I know a tiny amount of just talking to people who have been in it, is that, you know, 
you don't worry about what's going on around you. You've got a job to do. You go and do it. Absolutely. You know. Waitrose problems, we used to call them. Yes. <laughs> well, I mean, isn't it funny that everything that the, the, the armed forces do, for example, from the Queen's Jubilee um, to the funeral and that incredible gun carriage yeah. uh, procession uh, to things that were done during COVID, everything that the army uh, and the forces do works. Yes. Everything that the government does, um, and I'm not making this political, because I mean this particular government, doesn't work. No, but I mean, I mean, the, the, the military is it, it trains and trains and rehearses, and it's all about you know what you see on the day, whether yeah. it's a trooping of the colour, King's birthday, remembrance, an awful lot of hard work and mm. effort has gone on yeah. to get to that point. And um, you know, we have that saying, you know, prior planning and preparation prevents poor performance. Yes, um, and and you know. That, that is what the armed forces are all about. Mm. You know, it's about practising and being ready so that when the event comes, God forbid, you know, if the King's enemy approaches on the horizon, that's when they pull together and... Well, uh, we're going to talk to Colonel Richard them. Kemp in a little while. He's out in mm. Israel. Um, and, you know, people in Israel are seeing that as a reality, aren't they? Because so many people have gone back to fight uh, for, for the yeah. Israeli Defence Forces, whether they be reservists or whatever they be, but they go back and fight for their country. Yeah, as we've seen in, in Ukraine as well. And, you know, I, over the last few years, I, so often I hear uh, people criticising, you know, the young people, the teenagers, oh, back in my day, mm. etc. It wasn't like that. Well, I took numerous 18-year-olds on live operations. Yeah. Um, and more recently, we've seen them go off to Iraq and mm. Afghanistan. Um and, and do the job that they've been asked to do. Mm. So, you know, I think one has to be a little bit sensitive as to casting that sort of, that, 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 that how is it, that view over yes. all young people. Yes, it's of course. Not, it's, not, it's not the case. No. No, I mean, I was having a go earlier on at some of these um, sort of eco-loonies who seem to come from one particular quarter, which tends to be a rather privileged one. Yes. Um, because I think people who come from a much more hard-working, sort of working-class background, um, they take to it in a very different way, yeah. don't they? Because Yeah, and, but, you know, and whilst we might have a pop at them, and, you know, I'm not particularly into, you know, yoghurt knitting and tree-hugging and all that sort of stuff, I have no problem with yeah. it. But, you know, ultimately, it comes all the way back to that poppy yeah. and the symbol. Yes. You know, and giving all of these people mm. the right to protest to have free speech, yeah. et cetera. But just remember, that works both ways. But also, yeah, I mean, I still think, as I said last week, that it would have done them no um, uh, disfavours at all, that the organisers of the Palestine marching, if they had just said, all right, we're not going to do it this weekend, we just don't need to. Yeah. Because they've now done one again on Wednesday, last night, of course, yeah. uh, we're going to see it now. Uh, we saw, I think, a flavour of what we're going to see for the next few weeks, if the police don't get a bit tougher, which is um, obviously breakaway groups of people late at night, moving into different parts of London, in this case, heading towards the Cenotaph. They ended up um, up at the um, Royal, Artillery. Royal Artillery Memorial yep. and they were climbing all over it. And the police sort of, you know, still not quite sure what to do. And it's, it, it seems astonishing to me that the police are going, oh, well, we're not really sure. We don't think it's, it's illegal to do it. it we it's, can't really do anything about it. There's no excuse for that. No. Because, you know... It, we, we should have been warned about that when Brian Ferry's son started yeah. singing around the well, he, and he went to years jail ago. for that. Yeah, he so, went to jail you know, for that. This is where, I think, James Cleverly... I mean, that's, that's James Cleverly's former regimental memorial. Yeah. So if he doesn't get cheesed off with it, mm. then no-one will. But right. he has to empower the police now to lift. And this is what we talked about. Lift in court the next day yeah. 
and punished. And just get rid of it, because otherwise it's not going to stop. And in fact, because of the way that the policing has happened, I think they're going to become more emboldened. There's another big march coming up on Saturday. I believe on Sunday um, there's a sort of Christian um, mm. parade which is being uh, put out there in support of Israel. I just worry that, you know, these issues are becoming incredibly polarising and the police don't seem to know how to handle them. No, um, no. In my humble opinion, it should be a police force. Yeah. Um, and I also know uh, a, a significant amount of veterans yeah. who've left the police force. Yeah. Um, because, you know, they weren't a graduate or they just didn't fit that sort of type. At the yeah. end of the day, there's a place for graduates, there's a place for non-graduates. Yeah. There's a, there's a, a place for the guys who, and girls who come out of the armed forces, etc., and ultimately want to get their job done. But, yeah. you know, when, it, when the force of law has to come down hard yeah. um, in order to, to send the message out, you do this, yeah. you're going to pay the price. Yes. But we're not going to just, you know, there, there, you're a victim of society yeah. or whatever. We're not just going to stand by and let Correct. you carry on. Because apart from anything else, I mean, I was saying this earlier, you know, London has become a bit of a no-go area for a lot of people at the weekends. You know, people that would not otherwise... I've come up to Christmas, come and see the Christmas lights. I've spoken to loads of friends of mine who, you know, don't come to London that often but want to come and get a Fortnum and Masons well, we, or whatever. Those, those, and they're like, I'm not going to come. Those idiots jumping all over the, the Royal Artillery War Memorial there. How would they feel if we went and jumped all over their mother or father, grandfather's grave? Yeah, I know. Went and jumped over their brand new set of wheels. Right. They'd soon kick off. Exactly. So it's, yeah. it's, 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 it's lack more, of respect. It's a lack of respect. It's, it's not right. And if they can't curb it themselves, somebody's going to have to do it for them. Yeah, and that lack of respect, I, I agree with you, should have been extended to last weekend, yeah. but it wasn't. But it wasn't. But none of the soldiers I spoke to, frankly, could give a flying fig. Right. I'm quite glad you said that. I thought you were going to say something else for a minute. Uh, Israeli forces, meanwhile, say they've attacked the house of a senior Hamas leader in Gaza. Fighter jets struck the house of Ismail Haniyeh, uh, who was based in Qatar last night, and the Israeli military claimed his home was used as terrorist infrastructure and a meeting place for the organisation's senior officials. We're going to talk now uh, to Colonel Richard Kemp, uh, who's joining us from Israel. Uh, Colonel Richard, welcome. Very, very good evening to you. Thanks for being here with us. I know it's late there. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Um, let's just talk a, a little bit before we talk about what's happening there in Israel. I mean, I don't know whether you've seen what happened here last night with, uh, with Hugh, myself, uh, and, and we've been talking about, you know, something really needs to be done, we think, in terms of the policing of these marches before it gets so out of hand that they basically can do whatever they feel like doing. I do agree with you. And I, it wasn't only last night, but also on Armistice Day when the uh, anti-Israel parade was taking place through London. Yeah. Um, there were at least two war memorials that I saw desecrated, climbed on and had Palestinian flags draped over them during the course of that march. N never mind the chanting of um, jihad and from the river to the sea, which was right. pretty, uh, pretty common as well. So I think... There does need to be more police action against this sort of behaviour. It's not just that, and I think it's—I I do think it's shameful that war memorials can be desecrated in this way. But also, I know a lot of Jewish people in London are absolutely terrified of the the intimidation and the intimidating calls and shouts that have existed over the course of the last weeks. With, as I said, from the river to the sea, jihad, which means inciting violence, war, 
and destruction of the state of Israel. So I think, yeah, I, I couldn't agree more with both of you. Yeah, absolutely right. I mean, one of the things um, that we spoke about a bit earlier in the show as well that, that seems to be afflicting uh, many of the young people who are taking uh, this little Palestinian side, even though they may not have any, any reason to other than just their own thought process, um, Osama bin Laden's letter to America... Uh, which I remember back in 2002 after 9-11, has now apparently resurfaced. And a lot of young people passing it around on TikTok and saying, well, of course, this is the justification for why 9-11 had to happen and exactly why Palestine has to be avenged and all of this. I mean, it's a very odd world we're now living in. It is. And, and, and of course, these people very often miss the context and they miss the full content. And I think within that letter that Bin Laden wrote, there's things like saying that, you know, homosexuality is illegal and all gays should be killed or suppressed or oppressed. Yeah. And, and numerous other causes that the, the young woke people of uh, the, the modern day hold, hold dearly, uh, and yet they were condemned. And, and, and the kind of liberty that they, that they like to enjoy was also mm -hmm. condemned by bin Laden. So they, they, you know, they get hold of these things sometimes and, um, uh, you know, and... and Run with it as if it as if it, this is some kind of thing that they can support, and it's just it's just extraordinary, really. And then they don't really have an idea of the context yeah. or the background to it. No, exactly right. And what's the uh, the, the feeling in, in Israel where you are now? Because I hear a lot of conversations in this country, um, both on and off uh, broadcasting networks, about how Israel's kind of losing the propaganda war because an awful lot of people are siding with Palestine. We had the vote for a ceasefire in Parliament last night. I mean, how, how is, it, how is the, the mood uh, in Israel right now? Well, interestingly, before I answer that, I'll make one point. I, I've met a lot of IDF soldiers um, on the border with Lebanon today, for example, and in the border with Gaza in recent days. And... Many of them are young young people. There are also older ones who are well reservists, called back to the colour. But many young people, um, including many young Brits. I met several British uh, Jews who are serving with the IDF this afternoon on the Lebanese border, and there are, there are a lot of them. And, and I would echo the words that uh, that um, was were mentioned earlier um, about how young people are not the kind of snowflakes that they're often portrayed as if they're given proper leadership and um and and you know that they, they, they have a cause to serve and a cause to fight for and you see you see that very very obviously here in israel but the mood generally speaking they, they do they are aware of the um a, a great deal of the uh, anti-israel propaganda that's been going around in the western world not so much in the arab world it's a very different picture in the arab world but certainly in the western world um and they're aware of that, and they they kind of almost resign themselves to it because they're used to it. It's a, a, a anti-Israel propaganda that's been built up over very many years. Mm. And when you ask, you know, people people say, well, the the IDF, yes, the, the Israelis suffered a terrible uh, terrorist attack on the seventh of October, and and everyone I think is horrified by what they saw of that. And but then they say, but the IDF are now killing uh, huge numbers of innocent people in Gaza. Well. We don't know that. Well, what we do know, we know some innocent people are dying in Gaza. We don't know the numbers. We know that the statistics that come out of Gaza are provided by Hamas, and that can't be relied on. They're often exaggerated. We also know that the only way that the IDF can, can defeat Hamas, which is the people that carried out these attacks on the 7th of October, which, were, which have been firing missiles 
uh, into Israel, into Israeli civilian communities incessantly since then. The only way they can defeat them is by attacking them militarily in great force. And to do that, unfortunately, because they hide behind human shields, some civilians are going to die. The IDF are very careful about targeting military targets and trying to avoid killing civilians. But unfortunately, as in all wars, that's what happens. And, and actually, the IDF have a far greater ratio. Historically, I don't know about this war, but historically, they've got a far more favorable ratio of kill of civilians compared to fighters than most other countries, including the United States and Great Britain and Afghanistan and Iraq. Yeah, exactly right. Hugh, let me bring you back in as well. Because... Richard, hi there. How are you? I'm very well here. Very good to see you after all these years. It's been a few. You're looking younger than ever. <laughs> Thank you. Too kind. Richard, I, I know full well, obviously, the extensive experience that you had um, in, in the British Army, you know, operating in cities, predominantly in Northern Ireland. Um, and we know how difficult it is when you're training uh, for urban operations. Um, what do you think the challenges are for Israel now? Because, you know, obviously they're looking at a highly built-up area. We were very experienced at counterinsurgency warfare, winning hearts and minds. Uh, I would suggest winning hearts and minds of the people in Gaza would be a bit more of a struggle. So how are they going to target you know, how are they going to actually locate and target and engage with Hamas without huge collateral damage? Well, it's, it's as you rightly say, it's incredibly difficult. And it's not, we shouldn't, what we shouldn't do is compare, um, let's say, Gaza to Northern Ireland. It's more like a foreign country. The idea, the, the Israelis as a whole left Gaza completely in 2005. And what effectively happened is a foreign country invaded. So they don't have the... They have never had the same kind of police operation in Gaza as we had, for example, in Northern Ireland. Um, and so they're, they're, they're basically fighting a war, probably not too dissimilar to the, 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 um, the, war, the, you know, the war in Ukraine, for example, in the city of Bakhmut, which, which also huge numbers of casualties, military and civilian, were inflicted. The difference is that um, in the case of Bakhmut, they managed to evacuate most of the civilian population. And also, it's, you can identify the enemy by their uniforms, whereas, of course, the Hamas don't wear uniforms. So that adds a huge complication to it. The IDF do have very good intelligence, um, including real-time intelligence on the terrorist organizations, and that includes monitoring their communications, whether it's mobile phones, radios, or any other form of communication they use. So they can quite often pinpoint individuals. But, but the, 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 real, the real challenge is, given that there are still quite a few civilians inside Gaza City, most of them have left now, but there are still quite a few. And the challenge, of course, is particularly in dealing with these hospitals that have been used as Hamas headquarters, trying to root out Hamas and destroy their military capabilities without killing uh, civilian patients. So that's, that's a very, very tough challenge. Yeah. On top of that, they've got a vast tunnel network, something like 300 miles at least of tunnels running underneath Gaza City, um, which some of which have to be cleared, others can be simply collapsed or maybe in due course flooded. Um, but some of them do have to be cleared because, of course, the, the third major challenge that the IDF faces um, is the 240 or thereabouts hostages which are being held somewhere or other in Gaza in a number of different places. And that, that adds a massive complication to the challenges they face. 
Absolutely right. Colonel Kemp, uh, we've got to leave it there. Thank you very much indeed uh, for your time um, and good luck with your, um, your time in Israel as well. Um, and watching uh, tonight, it would seem, Hugh, um, that there is some movement uh, as, as, as far as this Hamas command centre having been located is concerned. I mean, they're obviously being very strategic, deliberate, and, and they're going to take a long time to do this, aren't they? Yeah, and they were, they were also um, given quite a lot of warning. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, a, a few weeks now we were seeing Israeli soldiers, mm. you know, getting prepared to invade on the border and then nothing happened. Yeah. And as a soldier waiting to be given the nod yeah. to cross the, the line of departure, the start line, as we called it. Right. Um, that, that's difficult. So, uh, as uh, Colonel Richards said, Hamas aren't in uniforms mm. and they'll disappear yeah. into the ether. Um, so it's going to be, yeah, there are plenty of challenges ahead. It's going to be very tough. Hugh, good to see you. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, Hugh Andre, the Veterans Voice, of course, uh, will be back next week uh, when we'll bring you more uh, from life of uh, veterans, many of whom are struggling, uh, trying to get to, to back into uh, the society that they that they left to go and fight for their country. Uh, but we will bring you more of that. Uh, you're watching The Independent Republic and Mike Graham. Stay with us, though, because we're going to take your calls and you're going to love the next two stories. The Guardian uh, has today been forced to remove this letter we mentioned by um, Osama bin Laden. And we'll tell you why next. And how the hell has Kim Kardashian ended up on the front of GQ magazine as Man of the Year? For God's sake... Welcome back. You're watching The Independent Republican Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Now, it's time for this. The World of Woke. Women say it's not easy being a woman in this day and age. You're bombarded with advice on what to wear, who to date, when to have children, what to say, who to admire. And that's before you find you're sharing a changing room with a bloke in a dress saying he's just like you even though he's got a penis. It's a confusing old world, but spare a thought for us men, ladies, because this year's GQ Man of the Year list has just hit our desk, and it's a bit weird, to say the least. The list purports to recognise stars from entertainment, fashion and sport who have made 2023 a year to remember. Well, I can think of quite a few. King Charles, for one. Ronaldo, maybe, for another. How about Mick Jagger putting out another Rolling Stones album in his 80s? Or even Donald Trump? But no, the US version of GQ magazine is out this week, and they've not mentioned any of the above. In fact, it's even more bizarre than that, because on the front cover of the Men of the Year issue, there's none other than Kim Kardashian. Famous for that sex tape, famous for being in a reality TV show and famous for being Kanye West's ex-wife. Not famous for um, being a bloke. And that is the world of woke. Bloke. The world of woke. Unbelievable, isn't it? You just can't imagine what's going on. I've got a panel here. We're going to be talking about a great many things, including Osama bin Laden and Kim Kardashian. This is the only show where you get those two names in the same sentence, I can tell you that. Uh, but lots of you have been getting in touch as well. So let's hear from a caller. Catherine is in Cyprus. Wants to talk about asylum seekers. Catherine, a very good evening to you. Hello. Hello, Mike. Yeah, hi. What um, do you want to tell me? Well, we, we're a population of just uh, over a million in right. Cyprus. Uh -huh. And we get uh, about a thousand immigrants every month. Where are they coming from? Uh, they come through the north of Cyprus. Mm. Uh, they, they go the Libyan route. They come through the north of Cyprus and then they get asylum in Cyprus. Right. So they get northern Cyprus first and then they get asylum in the south. 
Well, yeah, which is part of Europe. Right, okay. And where do they then go? They, they just stay here in camp. Okay. Are they given work? Are they given, you know, assistance to, to stay in houses or anything? Uh, no, the Cypriots are not that not as stupid as the Brits. Right. So. And is it a relatively um, new thing then? No, it's been going on for a couple of years now. Okay. Interesting. Well, we'll see. And then do they move on from Cyprus or do they stay where they are? They stay where they are. I mean, I was and, in Cyprus, uh, which is quite a nice place. I would stay there as well. Well, um, where were you, Mike? Um, oh, I don't know, somewhere near Paphos. Oh, OK. It's very Fair nice. enough. It was lovely. Yeah, I must come back. I should look out for you. Thank you very much indeed. Let's talk to Sharon, uh, who's in Wigan, wants to talk about the cost of asylum seekers. Hi, Sharon. Hello, Mike. How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing fine, thank you. How's yourself? Yeah, very well. What do you want to tell me? Uh, well, when they actually come over on the boat, yeah. you know it's my pet that all people have to pay for the care and they get everything for nothing. Yes. So why can't the government make a law that if they do end up getting asylum here, they have to pay all the boat back, mm. all the lawyers' fees, yes. everything? Because students have to, the older made to sell their homes to pay for the curse, so mm. why should they get everything for nothing? Yeah, I know. Well, this is ridiculous, isn't it? It seems to me that we're wasting an awful lot of money which could be spent elsewhere. That's absolutely yeah. right. Thanks very much for your call. Final call from John in Newcastle wants to talk about the cost of it all as well. It's unbelievably, John, I heard somebody today uh, saying from the Home Office point of view, oh, we haven't had enough money to be able to deal with it. Well, they're spending millions every single day, aren't they? Basically, I think this government is a force. Yeah. And I think also the parliament itself is a force, yeah. as we've seen uh, as from yesterday. But getting to Rwanda, uh, I was watching a little bit of GB News tonight, and they were interviewing a chap, and he said that Rwanda, the price of sending one person to Rwanda, and that, that, that amount will be limited, is the same as having that person for 12 years in a hotel in this country. Wow. Which I find quite amazing. That is incredible. Where do they get these numbers from? Well, this, the, yes, I just can't understand. And he, he was being interviewed, you know, and uh, he, he said this. 12 years, the cost of sending one to Rwanda, and that will be a limited figure. Also, may I just happen to say that I was watching GB News yet again today. Yeah. And You're watching it far too much, children. John. I mean, Which mate, one? listen, you know, you can't really come, come on here and start telling me about how much you've been watching GB News. That's not a good idea at all. Oh, oh, well, well, no, the I two. I'm going to have to well, ban you from watch, watching it. I don't watch BBC, you see, so therefore you're the two. Yeah, all right. The reality well, make it one. School children uh, being, you know, talking about Gaza and, and being taken out of school yeah. to march. And I thought that was disgusting. It is disgusting. This, well, if you were watching this show, you'd have heard about that on here as well. School strikes happening tomorrow. We'll tell you where they are. There'll be one in Newcastle. You're going to have a word. John, thank you very much indeed. Um, we'll take more of your calls, of course, throughout the course of these shows that we're doing now at night, the Independent Republic, on at night night instead of daytime. Moving on, though, Keir Starmer's election dreams have been slain further by the Labour ceasefire mutiny, while Osama bin Laden's letter to America justifying September 11 terror attacks gained sympathy on TikTok.
What the hell is going on? Joining me to discuss all of this and more is my panel for tonight. Uh, we've got Steve Edgington from The Telegraph. Welcome. Uh, writer and commentator Candice Holdsworth and Director of Communications in the Henry Jackson Society, Megan Gittos. Welcome to all three of you. Uh, we've got the front pages to look at later on. But before we do anything else, I mean, I want to talk to you first about uh, the World of Woke story that I did. Kim Kardashian winning GQ's Man of the Year or at least being purporting to be on the cover of GQ magazine. I mean, are you feeling put upon, Stephen? I suppose I feel a bit upset about it. I don't really read GQ too much. I don't, much, no. To be honest. Um, but, uh, I mean, they could have chosen a man. It could have been nice. I mean, it's man of the year. I mean, imagine if you made some man the woman of the year. It wouldn't happen with Candice, would it? Yeah, it happens with some things. I mean, what did... Uh, what's Although, his name? what was that? Dylan, Dylan Mulvaney. Mulvaney. He won <laughs> yes. woman of the year for something, didn't he? You have to balance yeah. it out. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, really. And she was, like, dressed in that strange outfit as well, like, yeah. looking quite butch and very un-Kim Kardashian. Yes. Just clearly a publicity stunt. Yes. I mean, I guess everybody, even GQ, needs publicity at some point or other. Do you care um, at all? I mean, it's got everyone talking, hasn't it? So it does seem like it's yeah. worked. But, um, yeah, I guess it's, it's one of those things. Um, she will always create... Um, a story, whatever yeah. she does. So, she yeah. I mean, I worry now, though, that some of this wokery is just being kind of continued because it does get publicity, mm. because, you know, people like us talk about it. And so, you know, we're maybe, maybe we're perpetuating it by giving them, um, you know, attention whenever they want it. You know, a bit like the big story this week, the Endometriosis story, uh, yes. where they appointed a trans woman I to know. run a charity... Uh, for a, for a, for an illness that basically only afflicts women. I know. I know that interview though that Emma Barnett did was really, really, really. She was good. great. Yeah, she is. She's excellent. I defended the BBC for the first time ever. Yes. Uh, on the show tonight because I actually thought that she because she's been getting terrible, terrible grief. It for, really for being a transphobe and all the rest of it. Well, she's you know suffered with endometriosis yeah. herself. She's actually written a lot about her fertility struggles because right. women who suffer from it do suffer terribly with trying to conceive. Mm. So I mean, she's really she has a personal perspective on this. Right. I mean, they always do this. If it's J.K. Rowling, it's Helen Joyce, whoever it is, if it's a woman who says these things, mm. she'll get leapt on by the trans activists, and you know it silences a lot of women. It's such a yeah, problem. Absolutely right. We'll get back onto the subject of uh, school strikes and, um, and the whole kind of issue of marching, which is going to be going on this weekend. Stephen, I just wanted to congratulate you on your great piece that you managed to procure from uh, some Home Office guy uh, or woman uh, or non-binary person, knowing what they're like at the Home Office. Um, and if you guys saw it, but Telegraph had this great piece about how nothing really gets done in the Home Office which has got anything to do with helping anybody in the government to, to get immigration numbers down. It's incredibly worrying. So, mm. as you mentioned, we commissioned a piece from an anonymous civil servant right. who was writing from the Home Office describing their perspective within that department in terms of how people deal with immigration. Right. And they were saying that their colleagues do not want to control Britain's borders. They see it as their role to be a resistance yeah. against the government, current it's government. It's unbelievable, isn't it? I mean, civil service resisting the government. It's anti-democratic. <laughs> yeah. It's unacceptable. Right. And James Cleverly, he must do everything in his power to investigate mm. the allegations that were raised in that Telegraph piece. I think he's got a real bit of work on his hands mm. in order to get the department under control. Yeah, and one of the questions when we talk about Keir Starmer is that what would Keir Starmer do um, in terms of the Home Office, in terms of the, the, the policy that the Labour Party would have? Nobody seems to know, because there's nobody in Labour really saying anything. Well, he said that he would rather tackle the trafficking gangs directly, but the National Crime Agency said that's not totally feasible. You need legal disincentives mm. 
as well, because the way that the criminal gangs operate, they're quite disparate and fragmented. So it would actually be very difficult to just focus on that. You need other methods as well. But he doesn't like the Rwanda scheme, no. Keir Starmer, but he hasn't said what he would do in terms of, of the but, legality or what he would try and do to disincentivize people from coming in the first place. Yeah. Megan, are you surprised that the Home Office is so kind of anti-government? I mean, presumably it would also be anti-Labour if they got in, because if they wanted to do the same thing. Well, yeah, that's the thing with the civil service. You're never going to have them supporting the one party in government at the time. I'm not necessarily surprised by what I read. Um, there's, it's a problem across government that party um, departments just kind of stagnate. If you look at the chronic procurement problems in the MOD yeah. with those enormous amounts of money that they're overspending on mm. things that just don't work. So, no, it didn't necessarily surprise me right. at all. And when the piece ran, Stephen, you uh, were able to find out from inside the Home Office that the, the, the bosses, if you like, um, the mandarins, I suppose, were, were telling the, the employees to completely ignore any criticism, that they're doing a great job and, you know, have another five days off and go and do something for Black History Month. Well, it's a speciality of mine doing stories about the Home Office. Yeah. And I know for a fact that the bosses in the Home Office, whenever I do a story, they get extremely upset about mm. everything that I'm publishing. Right. Um, they do they complain to the paper? They, no, they com well, they complain to me right. and they ring me up and they right. shout at me. But they also, um, they, they have these internal emails and they say, don't look at this, this is a terrible criticism. Right. They, they do little meetings and they talk about my stories and they say, oh, you must ignore this, this is terrible. How dare the Telegraph go after right. us? We must all unite and, and we must double down on well, our they diversity agenda. They presumably must think you're the evil personified wing, sort of publicity wing of the Tory evil government. Well, I'm sure that they do, but I'm merely holding them to account for their actions. And yeah. I think that they have a democratic duty to deliver on the government's priorities on immigration, which yeah. is to control our borders, and they're not doing that. Mm. Yeah, and absolutely. they really go without scrutiny as well. We've got no idea what they're doing. I thought the Telegraph has actually really broken some good stories, mm. even though they're quite frightening stories, like the former Hamas operative yeah. who was given citizenship here. Mm. You just think, who... Who did that? Mm. I mean, who actually okayed this? How did yeah. this happen? I know. And these things have been going on and no one has any idea about and them. We have story after story after story of people who have come into the country, managed to get asylum here by false pretenses. Uh, we got one up in Bolton today, a guy, a Nigerian guy, who said he couldn't go back to Nigeria because he was gay. It turns out since he's been here, he was granted asylum, he's had three kids with three different women. His lawyer now says he can't go back to Nigeria because he's got parental responsibilities. But he's not gay anymore, he's bisexual, apparently. And you just go, come on, guys, I mean, this is not tough. You don't have to be a really, really horrible inquisitor to actually get the truth out of people who are telling lies. This is the crucial point, and this is something that was mentioned in the Home Office piece, yeah. is that everyone in the Home Office understands that there are huge abuses to our asylum system. But when you suggest to tighten the rules, they say that, no, this would be terribly evil and, right. and awful and we can't, can't do anything about it. Or they allude to international law. They'll say, you know, if you want to control our borders, for example, with the Rwanda mm. um, scheme, uh, actually, no, it's not possible because of international law. So every single scheme mm. that's proposed is simply shut down or ignored. Right. Exactly right. We might have some news from The Telegraph actually coming up very shortly on uh, development uh, on Sorella Bravman writing a piece. But, but let's just talk about a little bit about Osama bin Laden, the letter from America, or letter to America. Um, I mean, you guys are all younger than me. I mean, almost everybody is these days. Um, I remember 9-11 as if it was yesterday. My sister was in New York at the time. I was in London. Um, and it was just such a horrendous thing. And the fact that Osama bin Laden's name has now kind of resurrected thanks to TikTok and is kind of feeding into this social justice movement for young people. Um, 
you guys are all sensible enough not to, to obviously fall for it. But are you surprised at what's going on? It was quite shocking. I mean, it, for me, it was two things. I thought, one, this is the role of social media. People are just in these deep, deep echo chambers. Yeah, like silos. Yes. Mm. And then, two, I thought, yes, this social justice ideology, like you said, it's totally poisonous. I mean, they're viewing someone as sadistic and demented as Osama bin Laden, yeah. as some sort of person fighting against the great oppressor. Yeah. I mean, they just don't have a clear view of him and what motivated right. him and why he did what he did. Right. But also, I mean, to read that letter and not come away a bit horrified is yeah. also quite frightening. It you is. just wonder what sort of ideas that they're imbibing and how steeped in anti-Semitism well, and, and they are. And what else they're being taught in school, Megan, as well, because obviously they're being prepared for this kind of anti-Western propaganda, aren't they? I think it's hard to picture um, an age group where 9-11 isn't the, a massive force in their life. Like, it's my first political memory and it's shaped pretty much every day of our existence since then. Um, but I think the most um, alarming thing about it is that with all the information that's out there, she seemed to not know, the one we were talking about in the green room, mm. seemed to not know an awful lot about his mm. ideology and how inhumane it is and how yeah. it's been something we've been trying to disperse for a long time. Right. So, yeah, the point about schools is really interesting because how's this not come up, especially right. in America? Well, we see this, don't we, um, in this country where we've seen uh, from the various marches that have been going on for the last five, six weeks or so, um, you know, whenever journalists go out and ask people who are on the march yes. what they know about Hamas or what they know about October the 7th, it's amazing how little they know. Yeah. That they don't seem to understand that they're, they're, they're in danger of supporting a very, very bloodthirsty organisation. I think there's a real ignorance, and I think this is also to do with people's connections to both their country and their history. Mm. So I think young people today are not patriotic. Mm. I don't think they have any connections to the past. I think they despise the West, as you say. And they see that Osama bin Laden, for example, they don't understand... I don't think they understand what 9-11 mm. is, what 9-11 was, how he was involved in that. I think yeah. this is a complete... I hope that that's, it's, it's right. a, in, in ignorance and they don't actually understand mm. what actually happened. Um, and I think that this, it's part of a general sort of attack on our, mm. on our culture and on our history. And, and as you say, it's interesting that 9-11 is finally sort of seeping out of people's minds and memories in the yeah. same way that the Second World War is also starting yeah. to sort of fade. Well, I found memory. it quite interesting over Armistice weekend because, you know, you didn't see very many young people wearing poppies. You know, I'm not a poppy fundamentalist. I don't think you have to wear a poppy. I think you do what you like. You know, wear a white one if you want, wear a, don't wear one. But, you know, I noticed for the first time this year a lot fewer poppies actually being worn. Yeah, yeah I think as a general point, that's certainly true over Armistice weekend. It's something I'm notice more generally. Mm. Um, I remember growing up, there was a lot of pressure to wear a poppy. It was yeah. kind of instilled in you. Right. Um, of course, it's great when people support the Royal British Legion, but I think Legion, but I think it's uh, something that spans generations now. I, d I don't know why it's kind of declined, but it's less um, of a young person's problem, right. I think. Well, tomorrow, don't worry, there'll be the free Palestine school strike. I don't know whether this has been inspired by the likes of Greta Thunberg, but there's a, um, a couple of press releases that I've seen from schools from as far away as Bristol, Manchester, Glasgow, Essex. They're all going on strike tomorrow at 10am, um, and presumably with the OK of the teachers and the local councils, they're going to march around their local neighbourhoods instead of being at school. So Look they're not going to learn much. teachers, letting them out of school. No, most of the teachers are already on the marches at the weekends, aren't they? There, there were. There were. There was also, I think, a school in Bristol that took really tiny kids out mm. and gave them such an imbalanced view of the whole thing. And, you know, it's true. I think a lot of it is ignorance. I mean, I remember when the marches first... People first started marching, and I was like, hang on a minute, you're timing. Like, this terrible thing yeah. has happened. Why are you doing right. this? 
And then I realised, actually, they don't really even know October 7th happened right. or they don't think it happened. It's just Some ignorance. of them don't believe that it happened, which is another, you know, know, conspiracy theory mad thing that's going on. But we'll come back to that because we're going to have a, look, a proper look at what's going on front pages of the papers. The panel will stay here. You're watching The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Do not go anywhere. Welcome back. You're watching the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. The panel is still here with me, uh, Steve Jones and Candice uh, as well, and of course Megan Gittos too. Uh, let's have a look at some of the front pages that we've got uh, in front of us here. Start with the Times, Stephen. Um, look for a job or lose free NHS medicines. This is something that uh, um, I think the Chancellor has come up with, Jeremy Hunt. Uh, he's decided to try and get people back to work uh, because um, they're not working and they should be working. He's going to hire a load of other people to get them back to work. Uh, thereby spending the money, presumably, on all the other people who are going to now work for the Department of Work and Pensions instead of these guys. Well, I think Britain faces a huge issue where 2.6 million people are currently out of work due yeah. to what they call long-term sicknesses right. or illnesses. I think part of this is so-called long COVID, whether yeah. long COVID exists or not, I think is another matter. Right. I think Britain faces a huge productivity problem. I think this is completely understandable. We need to get people back to work. There's far too many people just sitting at home doing nothing yeah. uh, and living off, off benefits and other things. So I think this is a really important step I uh, think it is. That. The trouble is, whenever we talk about these stories, it's always people who say that it's very, very difficult to get benefits if you're trying to get them. And it's, as you say, my old story, Candice, if you're willing to, to play the system, you know how to play the system, you're going to do well. If you don't, sometimes you don't get the benefits. Well, yes. I mean, wasn't there um, all that data came out recently that some cities, there's like an enormous percentage yeah. of people on sickness benefits now. I mean, for mental health things like anxiety and depression mm. and things like that. And some people are very sceptical of what's being claimed, that people know what to say. And I do know anecdotally people who know very young, very like fit and able yeah. people who are off on these sorts of benefits. They could be working, but they don't yeah. want to. I mean, I don't want to be cruel. I mean, obviously people yeah. who do oh, have no, I think genuine... There's, there's, there's definitely a statistic I think I, I saw from Scotland where that some huge proportion of 16 to 24-year-olds have never worked, ever. Yeah. in their entire lives. Let's go to the sun, though. Um, Megan, PC gone mad. A police force has warned staff that using the word policeman could be breaking the law. <laughs> um, what? <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure what to think on this one. Um, it's a great scoop, of course, but I'd love to see the... There's a pamphlet, the apparently. Just been, yeah, that. there's a 12-page pamphlet being handed out by Staffordshire Police. Last night blasted as woke nonsense. It's a language guide. I mean, the trouble is there are these language guides that get, you know, created and handed out to people, like the NHS famously not yeah. wanting to call women women and calling them, you know, people with services and all this kind of rubbish. Chess feeders. Yeah, chess feeders. It's bonkers, isn't it? Yeah. Absolutely mad. Uh, incredibly uh, ridiculous. Um, front page of Daily Telegraph, Stephen, your paper. Uh, Suella Braverman, my plan to get Rwanda flights off the ground. Now, this is to do with Braverman's, uh, obviously, recent sacking, and she, yeah. she claims that she has this alternative scheme in order to make sure that the Rwanda plan actually happens. She yeah. would introduce different legislation to what Rishi Sunak is proposing in order to circumnavigate uh, European law and sort of international law and right. to sort of prevent that from blocking the, the scheme. Right. I think this is sort of part of her revenge against Rishi Sunak yes. for, for being She did sacked. say she was going to unveil some kind of dossier, didn't she? Yeah, and we could be expecting some, I think, a lot of fireworks in the future, yeah. so... I think keep on reading the Telegraph and right. see more. Well, of, of course, we also had today, um, George Osborne came out and said on a podcast, I think, he said, well, now that David Cameron's back in government, we won't be ditching the ECHR because he doesn't want to. 
Yes, yes, and it, I think it was building for a while. I mean, I'm sure that, you know, Suella and Rishi have been disagreeing for quite a long time now, and she's someone who's obviously been very critical of the ECHR, but he's always backed away from having too strong an opinion on it. So, yes, that George Osborne has confirmed now that there is a shift in strategy, that they want to move away from yeah. that. And do you think Suella Braverman's going to end up being the kind of the sword in the side, or the, the thorn in the side even of... Uh of Rishi Sunak's final <laughs> few months as Prime Minister. I'm unsure. I'm unsure. And as she had an amazing plan to make the Rwanda plan work, then she should have shared it, right. to be honest. The plan's not going to work. It's, it's not I even... I don't think there's no evidence. Ever, no. There's no evidence it's even a right. deterrent. And even if, including the deterrent, at best, it's going to be responsible for about 1,500 migrants. Yeah. Rishi Sunak, the problem is he needs to stop over-promising. Yes. Because he's giving... Labour a Or even just done. keeping this one This week, promise. he wrote Labour's election pamphlets for them yeah. because he's not able to keep to these big grandstanding mm. promises. I think they need a real strategy. They need to find something that works. They need to draw a line in the sand and move on. This yeah. is a really good point, and this is what people have been saying, critics of the Rwanda policy, who, aren't, who also don't want illegal migration right. to continue, and they've said it's poor value for money. It's, yeah. it's not good value, value for, for money. money. There yeah. is no value for yeah. money in it. Well, we had that caller saying cost that... I affordability yeah. with my tax money. Well, this is the thing. None of this is good value for money. I mean, we're throwing so much ridiculous money at uh, this migrant problem and not solving it. I mean, you might as well either not solve it and make it not cost anything, uh, or if you're going to spend money, make it work. You, yeah. can't have, you can't have one or the other. Yes. The Tories have been trying to tackle this problem for years, and this has all happened under their watch. And it's just so funny. I think this is going to go, into go to more court decisions. This is going to go on for months and months and months. We're going to be seeing more, all of our taxpayer money going on this stuff, yeah. and then nothing will ever get solved. And apparently we're meant to vote for the Conservatives again next year, who will promise to stop the votes again, I'm sure. So this is all... Yeah. Well, Jeremy Hudson's the sons as well, saying basically that, uh, you know, there's not likely to be any flights taking off anytime soon. It could even be a couple of years. By which time, more than likely, the Tories aren't even going to be in. This. Is this no. just sunken cost fallacy? I mean, they've spent so much already. They've expended loads of political capital. They can't back away from it. They've this. burned several home uh, secretaries. And yes. no doubt, um, you know, our friend Mr Cleverly will be the next one. You yeah. know, dying on the altar of, uh, of vanity. Um, how about David Cameron on the picture front? A model diplomat. Uh, he's, <laughs> he's done what all foreign secretaries do. Uh, he's decided to go to Ukraine. Uh, and get himself a little statue of the Duke of Richelieu, who was apparently the founder of Odessa. <laughs> it's just crazy nice? seeing him again, though. I mean, David is that really the, the, the first thing he thought he should do? A yes. lot of Tories, I don't think they ever thought they'd see the day, and I think they've all, there's a fringe of Tories that are very happy. No. It's great that he went to Ukraine. Um, it's great for Ukraine's strategy. It's great for our strategy. But I don't think he's going to keep many people, including many of those in his own party, unless he dresses China. No, I think that's absolutely right. He needs to address the albatross around his neck. Yeah, because, because I mean, it's not going away. The, the guy Greensill was in the paper yesterday. Uh, he's apparently now going to be banned from ever being a company director again. Mm -hmm. So bad was the financial impropriety that he was involved in. I don't see how he can shake that off. I don't know how he's going to shake this off, and it's it's hard because if he goes with government line, the cleverly line, mm. um, he's going to appear to the China hawks like he's weak on China. Yeah. He's in a catch-22 because then if he does call China a threat, he's then making Rishi Sunak look like the tin man because he's going to look like the weak prime minister, but David Cameron's yeah. the adult in the room. Mm. So it's, it's hard. It's a difficult situation, right. but he needs to address it. It's well, great, he does. He, it's great he went to Ukraine, but it's not going away. No, exactly. Particularly with Biden meeting 
uh, Xi Jinping this week, you know, that's clearly showing that the Americans are kind of moving closer to some form of, you know, dialogue at least. Well, David Cameron was the architect of this golden era of relations with China. Mm. And his foreign policy record is pretty abysmal. I mean, it is. If you look at Brexit, for example, he completely uh, gambled on that referendum yeah. and failed. If you look at Libya, uh, he really destabilised that country and caused a huge uh, wave of uh, migration into Europe. So all of the issues that we're seeing today, <laughs> arguably, can lead back to David Cameron. And now they've put him back into, uh, into place as foreign secretary. Did he request it, do you think? They're moving closer to the One Nation group. It's really clear. Mm. I think it's no longer about the Red Wall because although... They've the sort of given is, up on that, haven't they? Because their polling isn't yeah. changing. They feel betrayed. So I think what Sunak's trying to do now is he's trying to just conserve... He might have... By hiring David Cameron, I think he might have saved about five MPs' jobs. Yeah. He's clinging on to the south, southern seats now. Yeah. Coming back to the... Like, a lot of One Nation MPs have felt really lost at sea recently. Yeah. I think it's probably revived them and convinced them not to, to still stand at the next exactly. election. Damage control. Exactly. Just a final one on uh, on the uh, marching. Uh, monumental show of hate in the sun, page nine. Sunday's poppies were still there when a flag-waving yob climbed memorials to World War I heroes and our sensible cops let it happen. And I fear that we'll see more of this on Saturday because uh, there's another march on Saturday. Um, so I don't know if any of you are going to be planning to go into central London, but I'm certainly not. Well, I think this is, again, an example of double standards from the police. And yeah. this is what Suella Braverman wrote her famous article in The Times about yeah. that eventually got her sacked. And this is just a classic example of where, you know, if this was the other side uh, walking on this monument, as we saw at the Cenotaph, yeah. you know that they'd be instantly arrested. Oh, yeah. they, never, they wouldn't get anywhere near no. this monument if, if it had been... No, they'd be of... hurled to the ground before they could get anywhere near it. It's just ridiculous. But what about that Charlie Gilmore who yeah. swung from the Cenotaph yeah, he during was jailed. the student protest? Yeah. But was it for the, the set swinging on the Cenotaph? Well, that was, was it part just... of it. That was, I mean, there were other things going on, but he was certainly accused of showing disrespect to a, a national monument, which, as Sir Mark Rowley says, is no longer a crime. Well, so I don't know what's going on, but yes, we're out of time. Yeah. That's been great. Lovely to see you all. Um, Megan Gissos, thank you very much indeed. Hope you'll be back. Um, Stephen Edgerton as well from The Telegraph. Candice Holdsworth as well. Um, we'll be back, of course, uh, next week. That's all from me. You've been watching The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Um, you can see me on Plank of the Week tomorrow night, only on Talk TV, 7pm. Don't miss it. Have a great weekend. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.